Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to episode three of my weekly Twitter spaces and of the podcast Managing Expectations. This podcast does not have bosses, but that will not stop me from celebrating the fact I haven't been fired yet. I've got my good friend Taylor Rockwell with me, the Total Soccer Show pioneer, just an incredibly kind and good person. He also has a fantastic name, Taylor Rockwell. It's pretty dope. Taylor, has anybody told you that yet? That I have a, a dope name? No, the only band that has ever, the only person that has ever done that is the band Live from like the mid-90s, Tom, I don't know if you were alive when they were around, but they signed a shirt once that said Rockwell in Richmond, and that was the first time I was like, oh, I have a cool name. Uh, but that was the first <laughs> and only time I ever thought that, so I appreciate your saying that. I appreciate your calling me a friend. That's very nice of you. It's nice to talk to a workplace associate from my perspective, but yeah, good to be here, Tom. <laughs> Cold in the world, man. That's a good start. Uh, anyway, Taylor's host of the Total Soccer Show, and you should listen to it because it's wonderful. He is smart both in soccer and real life, and good at talking into a microphone. Um, learning how to be good at talking at Twitter spaces. I'm proud to take you on this maiden voyage, apparently, of your first foray into Twitter spaces. How's it feel so far? I feel like I'm in, like, Matt Doyle's homeland now. I don't, I don't know how to feel about that. Like, I hope he doesn't come boot me off or something like that. Am I stepping on his domain? Is this his territory? I, I've been calling uh, Andrew Weeby the king of spaces, so maybe maybe take it up with him and see if he's got – if he's uh, less – less uh, forgiving than Doyle would be, because I feel like Doyle would rule with an iron fist. Oh, absolutely. He would pretend like he was, like, above it and didn't really care, but then, yeah, would quietly exert power and authority all over the place, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> all right, enough uh, banjo, let's get into it. Um, you and I were both in Charlotte at the record-breaking historic event at the Bank of America Stadium. I keep on almost accidentally calling it the Bank of California Stadium of the current name of LAFC, so that's always a good start. Um, so I guess before getting into what happened on the field and everything else, the story from that day will forever be uh, the record, everything that that titty, that that team, that club showed in terms of off the field. Uh, so let's start with the atmosphere a little bit. Take me through your match day on Saturday. What was it like? How did it feel for you until it was ruined by running into me in the press box? First of all, that made wonderful. It's always good to see you. Tom, Tom is equally wonderful, as I'm sure people listening to this would already uh, yes. So that was really exciting to see you, but it was also really exciting to see Ryan Bailey. That was the main reason why I came down. No disrespect to Charlotte, but Ryan moved to Rome, was living in Charlotte when, we, when he started contributing to the Total Soccer Show. So he came back for this game. So it was nice to get down there and see him in person. I think we've only hung out twice in person. Once was at that MLS 25 event, uh, is where I first met Ryan. And that was, I believe, a week before like the pandemic shutdowns yep. happened. So. Yeah. It's an interesting bookend, uh, but it was nice to get to hang with him. And I did not realize how prominent he was in Charlotte soccer, that people kept recognizing him. And I'll be honest, I was like, how do people know you? And he would look at me with a slight, like, how dare you expression, which I, I'm assuming <laughs> was jovial. Um, the video died uh, until like, the very first day he, he interviewed David Temple, the announcement. And I think he's been pretty prominent there. So to get to see him 
celebrate this moment in that day was really exciting. I think he has a lot of love for Charlotte, the city of Charlotte, the people of Charlotte, and now the team of Charlotte. Um, so that that was pretty fun. And then it was just like, uh, so let me let me cut you off for a second, just because um, if you happen to have headphones laying around, that might be helpful. Uh, kind of going in and out while you do or don't figure that out. I'll filibuster a little bit. Take you through my day. It was a long one. Um, I had some interviews in the morning, which was cool. And just kind of being out and around in the city, even at noon, seven and a half hours before kickoff or eight hours, if if you wanted to be literal uh, when it comes to start times for kickoffs. But there was, the city was awash in Carolina blue. I saw every other person I saw had a jersey or a scarf or something. I was, it was in a building and people were already having scarves on. People were already on the way to tailgates, if not about to start them with drinks in hand, wherever they were walking to. And I thought that was pretty cool. One, one, it's impressive that you can start your adult beverages eight hours before kickoff and trust yourself to be good in 10 hours or whatever after the game and not be miserable and starting to kind of dry out. So I thought that was funny. And two is just like, it clearly was the premier event in this city. Like that night there was a Hornets game. I did not see one single Charlotte Hornets shirt. Like there was some other stuff going on at bars, whether it was or at Starbucks or restaurants. That was kind of what everybody was there for. The hotel was like, are you here for the marathon or for the game? And they quickly realized I don't look like much of a runner. So that that was self-explanatory. But like it was just really cool watching like how this was the number one event in the city. Yeah, I'm, I'm listening to everything you're saying. I'm also slightly concerned that you can't hear me because I do have headphones on right now, which ah. is a, a troubling thing to find out that they don't seem to be working. Yeah, it's coming in and out a little bit. Um, so, yeah, whatever, whatever's easy to do. But, uh, yeah, anyway, for, for walking around the stadium, it was just so many people. It was kind of difficult to find my way in as somebody who hadn't been to the stadium in that capacity before. Uh, I had no idea where the media entrance is, so that took a while. But um, enough of that, the the – National Anthem was really cool. The little light show before the game was really cool. I'm usually with Weeby. I'm not a big fan of, like, the lights flickering on and off. I, we don't know what they would have done if there was a goal scored because there wasn't a goal scored for Charlotte. Um, so I guess that is an easy way to transition to on-the-field stuff. Um, first and foremost, you write the most beautiful handwritten game notes. That was the first thing I ever texted you before. We were friendly, but I, I don't think I had your number yet. And I was like, I need, I need him to give me a tutorial on exactly how he writes these these incredibly detailed and incredibly thorough and thoughtful notes in, in the game so i guess from your from the 90 minutes of charlotte fc versus la galaxy what were some of the takeaways on field that you might have written down in that notebook uh, i wrote down a fair amount uh in that game for it only being one nil is this is this better audio or still the same yo this is significantly better okay cool then i'll leave it on speaker and we'll do it like that um yeah, man. So uh, I do basically because I'm so like all over the place. If I have Twitter open or anything else, I will just immediately get distracted. So handwriting notes tends to be the way I can stay focused. Um, I thought it was interesting that uh, Miguel Angel uh, Ramirez made a change really early that basically they, they were like being overrun uh, from the jump almost about I think it was the 28th minute. He hands a note. They change their shape. I think the idea was to get Mora further forward to push Araujo back and try to kind of limit the effectiveness of the Galaxy's attack. So I thought you could see good in-game adjustments being made. And I really like uh, Miguel Angel on the whole. I thought he was really interesting to watch uh, on the touchline. I spent a lot of my time staring at him because he is very... Not only does he look and sound like Pep Guardiola, he kind of acts like him too. So there's a lot of high-intensity gesturing and pointing and yelling. And he's very involved in the coaching. Greg Vanny 
slightly less so, more screamy, a little bit more screamy yes. than Greg Van. Yes. Um, and I thought that the way the Galaxy responded to what Charlotte were doing was also really fascinating because that team, it, it looks at times like they're just doing whatever they want. Like players are just sort of moving around, changing positions. But when you keep kind of paying attention to it, you see how it's not quite automatic, but it's definitely rehearsed. There's definitely like a choreography to if Chicharito drops in, then this player goes here. If Vasquez goes out wide, then this person swaps with him, which is basic. But then when Vasquez mm-hmm. moves to the other side of the pitch and then somebody else covers for him, it just feels like everybody is learning their roles pretty quickly for the Galaxy. And that allows them to just have three and four attackers pop up in one space where you don't expect them. Um, and then they do a lot of other unexpected stuff, like uh, Vasquez hitting the post in the first half and like that goal oh. from Efren Alvarez, which was ridiculous absolutely ridiculous it made me message tom to make sure that araujo <laughs> and alvarez were both already committed to mexico which they are and now i'm sad uh that vasquez chance uh, a real quick non-sucker to that that was delightful and he's one of my favorite players to watch it's like the like i relate to the kind of more cerebral of the guys who clearly aren't physically dominating games but they're still able to be incredibly effective like he loaded up for cross two touches before that and Kalina came bombing off his line like three or four steps, hard steps, like trying to cheat on a cross. And this was not an obvious crossing spot. This no. wasn't one where he could do it. And like Vasquez registered that information immediately, held up the cross, took another touch, and faked like he was crossing again, and dinked one to the to the upper ninety back post. Like that deserved a goal just for the intuition, let alone the technique. That was fantastic. But, but let's stay with Miguel Ramirez for a second there. Uh-huh. And I'm glad that you bring that up. One of the like I thought that he was a good hire just given his resume and everything else. You know, everybody sounds good at the initial press conference mm-hmm. uh, and, and you give everybody the benefit of doubt regardless. But one of the things I liked about him is I like teams with identity. I like teams with thoughts, you know, for good or for better or for worse, whether it's going to work or not. Like, I like this kind of comprehensive plan or whatever. Another thing I like is, is versatility and being able to change that mm-hmm. and not being an ideologue for just the sake of your tactics. If we're going to you know look towards San Jose for something like that, like it, it's not going well there in terms of, of how it's working. I thought that Miguel Ramirez was going to be like that just because of I don't know, the vibes that you got from people who talked about him and from, you know, the initial press conference. He's talked a lot about his game model. Through the first two games, he hasn't played the formation because the players haven't been there for it. He hasn't tried to shoehorn a 4-3-3 despite having borderline no wingers and and one center forward. Like, that's something I'm impressed about that I wasn't, I wasn't, you know, necessarily expecting him to be a flexible coach. I thought he was going to be an idologue. We're going to play like this. I don't care if we lose the first eight games. It's going to help us get better at this system. And this is what we're going to do for better or for worse. So uh, the fact that he started out in, in the five, three, two, or whatever you want to call it, five, two, two, one, that he was able to kind of change during the game and pretty early in the game. I think that's a positive sign for Charlotte. Tom, uh, I appreciate your attempt to be positive. I promise I don't mean this as snarkily as it's going to sound. When you say he doesn't have like wingers and some of the personnel he needs to play the way he wants, I, I mean this sincerely. What what does he have? <laughs> like, it did feel like this team has a lot of holes that are going to need to be filled as we go forward. And I think he will be able to fill some of those. I think he is an effective enough coach and effective enough communicator so far is how it seems. But mm-hmm. it did seem like there was a lot missing. If you're pointing to maybe a couple strengths in their roster build, what would you point to? I, I really like the midfield, um, and it's unfortunate that really? midfield isn't, isn't available. <laughs> That's the thing. Like, I, I know the fact that, like, Sergio Ruiz, Jordi Alcivar, um, and what was supposed to be Rylan Green is going to be Christian uh, or Titi Ortiz. Yeah. I think that's a good strength. Like, Sergio Ruiz had, off, like, La Liga clubs wanted to sign him. Teams that mm-hmm. were, you know, top third of the uh, second Spanish second division really wanted to sign him. The same way that 
with Riley McGree, he kind of pushed his way out. That's why Riley McGree's in here. I think he's going to be very good. He ha- he hasn't been playing for, I mean, before preseason, I think he was out of action for at least three months uh, for personal reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not surprising that he's not ready to start. Jordy Alcivar, it's not surprising. He's 23 or, or, no, I think 22 maybe or a little younger. Whatever it is, it's not always easy for international players to adapt immediately to MLS. I think he's going to be fine. Sure. So when that starting midfield trio is available, and then when DP center forward Carol Severski, who made his first start, he didn't necessarily look too rusty or too out of out of sorts for somebody who missed the last two weeks of training, wrapping up his visa. There weren't any chances for him, so it was a lot of aimless running. So I, I, I like at least he looked fine there. But yeah, wingers wingers are a problem. Chance creation is a problem, um, and that is being addressed right now. But but like you said, there's <laughs> this is far from the final 11 or their best 11, even in terms of players that are already on the roster, like Anton Walks wasn't available. Like I said, sure. Sergio Ruiz and Jordi Alcivar didn't start. Swiderski got his first start. So like there are a lot of moving pieces, I think here. That makes a lot of sense. And, and it was interesting to watch afterwards. Uh, so he did the press conference and players came in. Kalina came in and argued that no one ever means to shoot at him. Otherwise he would save it every time. <laughs> Not quite sure about some of those claims from him. Uh, but then when we went back into the press box to see, it looked like, front office people it looked like players and their families down on the pitch uh, mm. like kids kids having like small-sided games and the goal and stuff was cool to see but to watch uh, Ramirez walking around and talking to all these different groups and talking to players and none of it seemed upset like he seemed pretty pretty pleased with the way things went I think he's kind of indicated that in his yeah. press conference and that also kind of feels like the right mentality to have for this team for what you're talking about about how they still have to incorporate so many players they don't really have their full their lineup even, let alone their full roster. And so I think he has that sort of like perspective that I think is necessary for a team like Charlotte at this stage in their life. And so I think he will be, he'll be pretty exciting for them. Uh, I'm really (laughs) another cynical one watching Christian uh, Fuchs be absolutely exhausted by the, like just like (laughs) dripping sweat bent over with about 10 minutes to go and just thinking like, man, Charlotte doesn't get colder. (laughs) Like it's not getting (laughs) Good luck, my friend, because that like like North Carolina humidity is going to be something for him to deal with later on. But I think overall, I think there there were definitely positives, and I think really just the atmosphere, the vibes of the crowd, and even just sort of the the we're just happy to be here sort of mentality. <laughs> I think was so important that so many of the fans I talked to, I think the consistent narrative was like if we score a goal, we'll be really really happy. Um, it's mostly just about this team exists. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Charlotte Independents have have certainly not covered themselves in glory on or specifically off the field. So I think there's a feeling of it's an opportunity for like a fresh start in in Charlotte. There's a chance for this team to just kind of bring more people into the sport to make the city more unified in their support for this team. And I think there's just a lot of people who've been there from day one or not too far afterwards who really got to enjoy Saturday. And I thought that was pretty great. Yeah, and again, um, I guess I'll switch because I'm sounding overly positive. But like, yeah, like it really was happy to be here. I guess just in that sense, yeah. and that I've done a lot of talking about things either in theory or things that didn't happen on the field when it comes to the atmosphere and and you get people walking around the city in jerseys. You know, as far as on the field, there wasn't wasn't a ton of chance creation. Uh, there were some more positive signs I thought in week one and week two of the way that you know the backline kind of started possession sequences or, or kind of. Uh, progress the ball to the back. Like I think Christian McCoon, the more and more I think about it, the more and more I watch him, I think that was a really good signing for the value. You know, the allocation order slot was all they traded for him, which was, you know, roughly, you know, 400,000, give or take in terms of value at this stage of the year. So I think that's going to look good. I think Anton Walks is going to be really important for this team. 
Um, but yeah, like just kind of looking at the depth chart right now. Swiderski got back to train, you know, for they have a depth four chart? or five days. <laughs> looking up top, like it's Swiderski, Daniel Rios, who was acquired in a trade, I think 24 hours before their first game. So he's made two appearances off the bench. Um, Vinicius Mello, U22 initiative, teenage Brazilian striker. He's out for another month or two. On the wings, it's Jordi Reyna, T.T. Ortiz, who mostly is going to be uh, like a 10 or like an 8-10 for this team. So outside of that, it, it's Jordi Reyna and Mackenzie Gaines as um, natural wingers. And I guess Chris Hagart. Um, I think Ben Bender can play out there a little bit. But again, I think that those are players that are, correct me if I'm wrong, have long-term homes in central midfield. So it's really light on the wings. It's really light up top with when Sudarevsky wasn't there, with Vinicius Mello still hurt. Daniel Rio still unpacking his bags. Um, reinforcements are on the way. I'd imagine that they're going to announce the signing or at least wrap up the signing of Camille Joswiak soon. As I've reported uh, this weekend, Poland International, he plays for Derby County, played for Derby, about to be played for Derby County. He traveled to Charlotte for a medical the day of the game. He, you know, again, I'm surprised that there hasn't been an announcement yet. I haven't heard that anything's went wrong. So there's no reason to fear kind of on this front. But yeah, he's got 22 caps with the Poland national team, which is good. But with Darby, he had one goal and four assists in like 58 championship appearances or whatever it is. Um, he's going to be a DP at first for Charlotte, which doesn't scream DP numbers, but championship can be difficult, particularly for a team in a regulation, uh, relegation battle. Um, he played right wing for Darby. He played left wing at Lech Poznan. I probably didn't pronounce that right in Poland before he made like a $5 million transfer to Darby. So he's still pretty highly rated. He plays wing back for the national team. Um, he's going to be a DP at first. They can buy him down. I don't know how quickly they're going to do that because Jordi Alcivar can also be bought down. That's going to happen in the summer and they're going to sign another DP. But for now, that's the winger that's coming. Um, does one goal and four assists in 58 championship appearances get you juiced? Uh, not as much as your apparent autobiography of him. I guess biography of him. Not quite an autobiography. When you, when you, when you, when you report on a signing, you have to do a lot of research and <laughs> filling out the article you know, rather than just a tweet. We get I, it, I'm, Tom. I'm a, you're a reputable reporter. Big time I, professional I it, guy here. <laughs> no, I mean, I think, I think, I think creativity on the wings will certainly be a big deal. I do think, like, I, I, I asked Ryan uh, at, at full time if he thought Juan Mata would make this team better, and I think he laughed at me <laughs> thinking I was joking, and I kind of wasn't because it feels like they he wouldn't like, run for this team. Like, what? Well, like, you yeah. can't play this this game model that Miguel Ramirez is talking about. Um, and athletic, like the the front office would never sign him unless that he came for like yeah. a TAM deal, which obviously wouldn't happen because he's Juan Mata. Why would he? Yeah, I do think I think what I'm. They need a, I think, a technical creative midfielder is what I saw, because especially as the game went on, most of their attacks were long into the channels, try to outwork them, try to outmuscle them, try to outfight and then put into the box and see what happens. <laughs> and even then, sometimes I think those crosses weren't being delivered. And I think just having somebody who has the, the presence and ability to slow the game down and find those passes and just ease off the throttle a little bit because I think sometimes Charlotte being a little bit overly direct gave the ball right back to the galaxy, the galaxy happy to possess and wear Charlotte out even more. So I think another midfielder would be useful, but as you've said, they've got those coming through. They're going to get everybody kind of up to speed over the next month or so. And it does feel like they will be much stronger. And then you do just need a bit more strengthening on the wings. So it seems like they're moving in the right direction. Uh, do you have any more r rumors for Charlotte? Is there anything <laughs> else being discussed? Uh, that's all I've got for right now. Um, and I do want to talk about the Galaxy a little bit. So, uh, But from an interview I did with sporting director Zoran Cornetta, I want to throw you a couple quotes that I found to be particularly interesting. Um, first and foremost, he, he said, we do not want to buy stars. We want to make stars, which I think is is pretty apparent when you look at this team. And, and he's, they've been, the front office has been, Really mm -hmm. kind of upright, uh, upfront about that for since the first time I've talked to anybody that was hired there. 
Um, and that's not to say that they would just reject the idea of, say, an Andres Guardado or Hector Herrera, whatever it is. It's it's that it has to make sense in terms of contract length, in terms of, you know, how mentally, like, stuck in are you, all that stuff. But expect more signings like Carol Swiderski and Camille Joswiak and Alan Franco and Sergio Ruiz mm-hmm. rather than, say, Hector Herrera or Jaron Ochoquiri. Do you like that that approach, Tom? Like you personally, do you think that's the way to go if you're not going to kind of splash that money for those big names better to kind of develop youngsters and see what happens? I mean, I get it. I think that I, I try not to be binary about anything. I, mm-hmm. I think that this is, you know, case by case kind of basis. And an, another one that I like here is that, let's see, I'm not, I'm sorry, I'm not prepared to pay a stupid amount of money, whether it's real money or monopoly money. That was kind of in response to MLS experience and how difficult it is for an expansion team to get air quote value when it comes to trading for players within the league. But like, that's all well and good. But at some point you need to have like, look at Nashville, Walker Zimmerman, maybe, you know, in hindsight, it wasn't an overpay. Maybe at the time it was like about 1.2 million gam in, in value, which was more than really ever before. Um, Anibal Godoy was 600,000. I remember they got laughed at for that. And then the, the laughter stopped pretty good. Like Dax McCarty, he wasn't expensive in terms of acquisition costs, but he had a big contract and Chicago thought that they were, you know, okay, we can move on from him because he has a big cap number. And then you look at kind of what Miami did with a bunch of international players with like, like Charlotte. And that's not to say that they're going to have the same fate as Miami, but that's all well and good. And, and maybe we can say that Dallas overpaid for Paul Ariola if you want, but this team could have really used Paul Ariola in these first two games. And this team really could have used Paul Ariola moving forward. So I get the idea of wanting value. I get the idea of, wanting young players and, and winning deals and, and making sure you're getting assets I appreciate. But once in a while, like you're not going to win every deal. And sometimes you have to overpay. And I think that's kind of where this team is right now. I thought we were legally obligated not to look too closely at what inner Miami was doing with their, their <laughs> roster. and <salary. laughs> Yeah. I, yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I think that there's, there's certainly a rational to that. I think what we tend to see in my mind, at least I, I am not the biggest MLS expert or even an MLS expert. Uh, but I feel like that statement of we're in the business of making stars, not buying stars, that we're going to develop people that we don't want to spend monopoly money, which seems odd because like that, it just comes with the game, man, spend that money if they're giving it to you. Like, um, but I think oftentimes that is followed the next season by we're spending money. So it seems <laughs> like maybe I get where they're coming from. But it does feel like inevitably, as you said, you do have to splash a little bit of money or a lot of bit of money if you want to try yeah. to make that next step to make that leap and really to keep people interested. Because 75,000 people in attendance for a 1-0 loss, it's an exciting game. It's an exciting moment for that city. And I think they'll continue to get some people. But if you don't score goals, if you don't give them reason to be there, it, like at a certain point, the, the uniqueness of like, we've got this new team like it, that wears off and the novelness and then like what do you have left and so i hope that this build does accelerate that they do get everybody on board and again i think uh ramirez is a manager who can do that mm-hmm. uh and i just i forgot i wrote down quotes for you tom all right he was really doing a full he was really doing a full pep in the post-match press conference i'm, the I'm so glad sorry world. real quick i'm so glad that, that you brought up that that comparison in just mannerisms and the way that he oh, did yeah. the press conference like I, I won't unsee that now. Like maybe it's part of, part of the bald head too, but like I think that's a spot on comparison in terms of just his, the way he, he controls his body on the touchline. But he also, when he speaks, he does the gravelly whisper, the like <laughs> the manager in the world, and like he did the "I am so happy." That's always useful. Then describing what made this team special, I believe his answer was, "We were able to suffer and keep fighting," which really feels like a pep kind of line. That yeah, they worked their way through it. They they kept fighting. They never gave up. That feels 
like a thing Pep wants. But then, yes, a lot of the gesticulating and screaming and like directing of what they were supposed to do and opening up their hips and where he should have played the ball. Mm-hmm. I thought a lot of that was uh, was some pretty loud instruction. Even if I could hear it from the press <laughs> box, I'm guessing a few rows back, they could probably hear it. Yeah, no matter how loud or, or whatever the yeah. crowd was. Um, <laughs> one more, I guess. On, on this, do you have more on, on Miguel? Just that, again, I just, I like him though. I think he answers <laughs> questions. You didn't get any of those, like, that's a dumb question size. You didn't get any of those sort of answering around the question. And there's a language mm-hmm. barrier there, obviously. But I think he he did his best to give thoughtful answers to the extent that he could and to answer directly to the extent that he could. And I think also did a little bit of like the managerial gamesmanship. Like it's what Arsene Wenger used to do when their team would lose. He would make that sort of ridiculous statement about how they would have won if they got the full penalties they deserve and then everybody talks about that and not the team and that he kind of chose to lead with how he didn't really like some of the behavior of yeah. the galaxy players and i guess the officials as well Refer- no that, that that's what that's what he was talking about that, that the referee went over to Twiderski after he yeah. went down once or twice and said do you want to play or do you want to go to the hospital okay yeah. get up and play like <laughs> And, and that even felt like a little bit of like calling out other people, kind of getting mm-hmm. some sound bites in there that maybe will deflect a little bit from some other things. All of that felt like some, some clever managerial work by him. Good point. Look at you, cynical, able to cut through it. I just thought it was a good quote. So um, yeah, man. let's spend a few minutes on the Galaxy. You, you touched on it before and you had you know really good thoughts. I'm just going to pop in with a thought and let you kind of run off of it. First is, you know, can the Galaxy defend? This is, you know, two shutouts to start the season. One, two, one, nothing wins. Uh, I believe, yeah, one, nothing over NYCFC. That is not something that they did much, if at all, last year. Um, so that that's a really impressive start. And because we have to talk about the goal, we have to talk about the player. Is it finally Efra Alvarez time? Um, this is somebody that we've all known about since he was 15 when he was scoring goals with Los Dos and USL. And he's always been this huge prospect because, like, his technical ability is elite. Like, at the U-17 World Cup when he played for Mexico, like, like per sources, like, I know that there were the biggest teams in the world were all monitoring mm-hmm. and all like registered their own interest and, and like we like telling his his uh, you know telling the staff his representation whoever that like yeah we're going to continue monitoring him we think his technical ability is good enough for us but we need to see consistency we need to see off ball stuff we need to see physicality stuff and when he shows that like we're like he, he's he's an elite prospect obviously technically he's still that good you know I don't think Barcelona are going to put in a bid for him no matter what happens this year uh, just given how the past couple of years have transpired but. That just goes to show that there are so many teams still monitoring him in Europe. Yeah. And it, this, the line is still that, like, if he shows a season, hell, even if it's half a season of consistent starts, consistently being able to affect the game off the ball, um, physicality, all that stuff, if if he pairs even, you know, 70% of that with his technical ability, like, there's going to be a lucrative offer soon. I do, I do think also, you're talking about starts, I would say his substitute appearances, I would expect to be pretty, uh, like, paying good dividends essentially because he's mm. coming into a team like look at the the team that started for the galaxy and you've got costa and vasquez you've got cabral just stretching that back line you've got chicharito all over the place i have a lot of thoughts mm-hmm. on chicharito and it's it's just there's there's so much movement there's so much technical ability in there that defenses are just going to get worn down especially as, as i already said it gets warmer it gets hotter i think teams are just going to be worn down by the galaxy and then you bring in efren alvarez motivated ready to go fresh and just trying stuff. And that's what that goal was. And I think he absolutely, <laughs> absolutely meant it, regardless of what Kalina said. Uh, I think he spots it. I think he recognizes <laughs> it can be there. And I think it was it was a look that a couple different Galaxy players looked for. And we already talked about Vasquez. Attempted. So yeah. I felt like he knew what he was doing. I said this on TSS. I think the best thing about it was from our angle, where the press box oh, was. Oh, my God. Yeah. You could see how he hit it. But it was so slow and so lofted that you could see the bend. You knew it was going on frame. And you 
were pretty sure at that point that Kalina wasn't going to get to it, but you had a good second or two to watch him realize like, oh no, <laughs> and try to backpedal and just not get there. And so being able to see the goalkeeper scrambling, fully stretching and still not getting it. And then the ting off the post, all of that just made it great. The muted celebration sort of, but still right in front of the fans to make them mm-hmm. pretty angry. Also a good moment there, I think in terms of the drama uh, for Alvarez. But yeah, man, he, he looked very sharp when he came on the pitch, but a lot of the Galaxy players look sharp. I, I yes. realized, so I'm just rolling on. Go ahead. Uh, I didn't realize that people were like down on Douglas Costa. I was talking to Joe about that, and I was I thought that was going to be one of like the bigger signings of the season, and I still do. I've watched their first two games. I, I think he does things that not a lot of players in this league can do, just with his control, with his vision, with his ability to combine with other players. But a lot of it is just how like tidy he is on the ball that if he needs one or two touches, he'll play one or two touch. If he wants to take eight, he can do that too. And he seems pretty adept at figuring out when to do what. And I think that gives them just this incredible asset partnered with Vasquez on the opposite side with Chicharito who like, he is just so determined to win, which is not a thing I guess (laughs) I realized watching him in person, everything. If there's a pass that's over hit, if there's a pass that's under hit, if it doesn't go where he thinks it should, He's, he's having words, and it, it's sometimes it's just that frustrated, like, hands in the air. A lot of the time, it's instruction. It's communication. Mm-hmm. Yeah, less Gonzalo Higuain. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Ooh, but he looked real mad a couple times this weekend. Uh, but, like, even in the dying minutes when Chicharito is now, in my mind, like, top 10 in the league in dribbling to the corner flag and then holding off three <laughs> people at once, he did that once. And then sort of looked like showed to his team, like, that's what we need to be doing. And then the next two sequences, they basically directly attacked right down the middle as quickly as they could and turned the ball over. <laughs> and he makes the point, like, a, a minute after that of getting the ball and turning and dribbling to the corner flag. And then really does, after they end up getting, I think, the corner from it, he does a, like, see, that's what we need to do sort of gesture. And I just liked that there was that element of demonstration combined with instruction. Uh, I, I really enjoyed Chicharito in this game. Oh my god, um, we might need to do another Twitter Spaces to get your top 10 in-depth for players dribbling to the corner flag. I love that as an observation. Um, I'm just going to touch on Costa before we move on, that I don't think anybody doubts the moments he can produce. It's mm-hmm. more about the consistency. It's more That's about, fair. I think the last time he played, like last year for Gremio in a, re- a season that was relegated, he was not very good, and there were reports of him not being mentally stuck in very well. Um, and before that, the last time he played like a thousand minutes, I think, in a league season was like, I don't know, 2016, 17, or 17, 18, something like that. So I think that the worry there is is whether you know it's a, it's a it felt felt like a high risk high reward kind of old galaxy signing yeah and I'm happy they did it because I'm I love that Douglas Costa is in the league I'm not sure if it's a risk I would have taken as a GM but there's a reason why I'm not a GM and why I'm just talking about this stuff so I, I do hope it works out I think that a pleasant surprise is that they got him on a two year contract mm-hmm. that's really good like they didn't lock themselves into this three or four year commitment so let's eat, worst case scenario. Maybe they can buy him out in the offseason. That's the worst case scenario. Or worst case, like second worst case scenario, he's just on the team for two years and he's just okay. Like yeah. I think that there there's real possibility for that to be a really great signing. And I think that the risk was worth it just given again how long that they're signing the contract for. And I don't know what the opportunity cost was here. Like it's you know, you probably could have signed another DP, but I think that they have enough in the attack. I think that they have enough, I guess, around around the pitch. The Mark Delgado trade. Uh, Doyle's been taking victory laps on this. Like, I did not realize how important that was going to be. I, I wasn't entirely sure how, how well I think him and uh, Ravelson was going to fit together. But uh, through two games, it's looking really, really good. And that's you're looking like one of the you know value signings of the offseason. Tom, who's been taking victory laps? Matthew Doyle. I, I'm not familiar. Gonzalo Higuain 2.0. M- MLS, uh, 
extra times than Sally's Link. <laughs> oh yeah, the loudmouth guy, right? Hi Doyle, I see Doyle's listening. <laughs> uh, um, um, Tom, I want to. You said you're not a GM. I want to give you an audition right now. Is there a player? Uh, I'll put you on the spot as well. Is there a player like like you were saying, Douglas Costa? Sort of, I think for some people was a. Ooh, is that like an old school Galaxy signing where they're going for the big name and it might not mm. pay out? Is there a signing that you remember when they came into the league thinking like? this is not going to work. This is a player who is passionate or doesn't really want to be here. And then that is exactly how that went down. I feared that that my, I'm a Liverpool fan. It's Steven Gerrard's my favorite player of all time. I feared that might be the case when he signed. Uh, it seemed like it was more of a, I'm mad at Liverpool for not offering me a contract earlier. Screw you. I'm just going to go to LA then. Mm-hmm. And uh, it worked out that way. There's like a pretty legendary story of somebody um, saw him at a nightclub in LA and it was like, Oh, Steven Gerrard, like as, as a, a British, it was like, Oh, I'm a Liverpool fan. He's like, Oh, I can't, like, I'm coming out to the stadium to see you on Saturday. And he like, just turns to him at the urinal and says, and like, as he's like flushing, just says like, don't bother. We're shite. And walks away. So like, I think, I think that says it all about his, what you're I mean, MLS. To be fair, I was really nervous for a minute because if they were standing at the urinal, you said he turned before you said he flushed, and I was a little bit nervous that Steven Gerrard went a very different way in showing his disrespect. So, I wasn't there, so, so let, let's not lock me into that exact sequence, but I think you got, I think you got the gist. Um, let's move on then, on that note. Oh, you want to move on? <laughs> um, just touching on some, some random MLS stuff, uh, poor phrasing. Um, let's just bouncing around the league. Uh, there are some things that you know, we talked about it a little bit in the stadium. Wanted mm. to get, I guess, more of your thoughts on on Alan Velasco and FC Dallas. Like, oh boy, uh, I I contend that you know, again, without diving into the Wise Scout videos and just based on what mm. I've talked to people, what I've read, what I've heard, that it's a really high level of talent, um, and that from what I saw, I think that he's going to be a better fit with Jesus Ferreira and Paul Ariola than Otto O'Brien would be. Yeah. Uh, so I guess wanted to get your thoughts on that one. Yeah, uh, I, I talked about this when we did our, our season preview for Dallas, that it's 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 such an exciting signing for them that he's the money they're spending, club market signing, is, I think you said 19 years old, it's this young player coming in, and it could be this big impact. The thing that kind of stuck out to me and started me pulling at this thread is that uh, most of the previews I saw for Dallas this season had the kind of same numbers listed for him at like number of appearances, number of goals, number of assists. And the three different stats sites that I checked all had wildly different numbers than what were being reported. And I think <laughs> the most likely one I saw is that compared to the like around 70 appearances I saw listed, I think he made 46, uh, only 35 of those being starts. I, th- I think I saw a lot of... He's 19! What do you want? Oh, it, oh, it's not that. It's the like the the goals that it was listed as he'd scored 8 to 10, depending on the sources, 10 assists. He had three goals and, and I think six assists total. And again... That's not that big of a deal. As you said, he's very young. But then looking at that, that was basically what made me be like, okay, what is the deal here? Like, what, like, is he actually this goal scoring threat that everybody's talking about? Looking at the numbers a bit more, I think his average shots per 90 is 2.0 shots on target. And his, his for his career average is like 27, 28%. So mm-hmm. he doesn't get a ton of shots historically. The shots that he does get, he doesn't put a lot of them on frame. And when we've already talked about uh, youngsters, it takes them a little bit of time to adjust to the league. I think you're right that he will end up being a very good player for them in the future and probably this season. But I do think it's probably going to take him a while to get going. And obviously he hasn't even played yet. Um, But I think he's maybe going to have a bit of a slower start. I won't be surprised if there's... You know, this is why Dallas don't sign DPs. It's like a, a narrative at some point, and I think that will be disproven in the end. But I, I was really excited for him and Paul Ariola on the opposite side of Jesus Ferreira, and I'm still really excited about Dallas. But I think 
Velasco, I just have slightly lower expectations for than I think some other folks. But then again, as I said previously, I don't really know what I'm talking about. So a lot of other <laughs> people know more things than I do. I think that's fair that just just that we shouldn't look at him as like, say, Douglas Costa or Jaron Jacquiri in that, okay, day one, like, roll out the balls, like, make a big impact. 19, mm-hmm. he's coming, like like what I was just saying with Jordi Alcivar and, again, any other, you know, youngish player or even older player that come in MLS. It's not easy. We get it. Like, I think that, yeah, like you said, maybe don't don't view him as, as the savior immediately. Mm-hmm. But, uh, again, I do like, – I, again, Hunter O'Brien, like, in theory, he, he, he does a lot of good things in terms of the pace, the goal scoring from the wing, and, and directness. But if you have Paul Areola, I don't think that you need two of that. Areola is better in the buildup and good, better at combining. Um, I just thought that it were in, in week one, because I missed their second game, being in Charlotte, uh, all over the city. Uh, and then at the game that day, I have not seen that one. But in the first week, there were a lot of attacks, I think, that had good sequences, that good combination with Areola and Pomico and Ferreira that kind of died when they got to Obregon. But again, if that, that's kind of the trade-off when you want you know, a vertical threat. Somebody's going to score goals from the wing. Um, another one that I can't entirely decide San Jose Earthquakes, um, I'm just taking away the the quality or whatever you want to say. What I've always said about them is that for good or bad, they're going to be entertaining to watch. And mm-hmm. two, two games with all the goals and all of the, the nonstop highlights and, and either car crashes or, or whatever you want to call it, they've they've been fun games. Um, what was it, 3-1 and 3-3 and that dramatic late comeback. But, I mean, it's year four of this stuff, right? Like, this isn't new anymore. Like, it's kind of like old. It's like a... I don't know, it's like a comedian that does bits that are, like, the whole effect is for it to be shocking. And then when they make all the shocking jokes, like, the yeah. effect wears off, the more it happens. It's like, all right, like, it's not funny. Or, like, I don't know, a, a starter in baseball who just has a fastball. And it's like, okay, when are you going to throw it? Or, I mean, maybe this team would be better to call it a knuckleball. Okay, like, I've seen that enough. Teams are starting to hit it. It's not It's mm-hmm. not fun watching, watching all that happen. So, I don't know. I still think that they're a team that, if there are multiple games on, I'll definitely put them on a TV. I'll definitely put them on, on something just because of, of that factor that, you know, we could see, you know, they could win 4-1 or lose 4-1 or whatever. There's going to be some fun moments. Um, but I don't know. I, it's it's it, the bit yeah. is getting old, I think. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Matias Almeida is a disciple of Marcelo Bielsa. And I feel like that's the kind of comparison I would draw is look at Bielsa with Leeds, who's this iconic figure. and He's beloved by the fans. His tactics work really well. His approach works really well. Initially, he gets them up in the second season. They're competing in the Premier League. But then, as you said, teams start to figure them out. Teams watch tape, have a game plan for them. And if that game plan works once, it tends to work pretty consistently. And I think at that point, you have to look for other options. I don't know if San Jose can also employ Jesse Marsh. But I think, (laughs) to your point, I think Matias Almeida, maybe there's less of a shock value to this team. And so you have to have either different permutations to keep people guessing, or you can say go the like Jurgen Klopp route of, just have your team execute so perfectly and so consistently and work so hard that even if people know what you're going to do, mm. the heavy metal nature of it sort of beats you over the head until eventually they score a goal. I don't know if San Jose are, are going to be doing either of those things, but I think they will be fun to watch for the reasons you've laid out because I just kind of like Matias Almeida, even if at times San Jose fans do not. Uh, yeah, I'll just say that. Um, I think if, if the ownership situation was different and they could stomach um, paying out a coach or paying two coaches at once, I'm not sure if he'd be here right now. I think all of the public, I don't think that that's necessarily insider reporting as much as it is like looking at all the comments. Um, but I think that that's one to watch in the near future, um, him on the hot seat and whether there will be some way, because it's pretty clear on both sides that they don't want a reunion. So, you know, you, at the end of the relationship, the breakup is inevitable what are we waiting for kind of thing. So um, I guess we'll see if something happens on that at any point soon, but Tom, you know, definitely keep an eye on it. 
Tom, if they were to part ways, can can we agree that even though he has, I think, zero coaching experience, Chris Wondolowski should be the head coach? <laughs> just inter- even just interim, Mike, just let him study this shit. Like, yep. Connor Casey was was it was a uh, uh, impressive, not impressive, uh, effective MLS interim head coach for eight games. Like, honestly, is, is there any better way to galvanize a locker room? But yeah, there. Are, I'm sure that there will be plenty of options if slash when that happens. Chris Leach, new GM. He had he was a technical director when. Matias was hired, to be fair, so there is a working relationship there, but whenever somebody gets in the new chair, you expect them to hire their own guy, and again, between what Matias has said and what kind of the front office has said, nobody has has shown any level of commitment outside of today, um, so I think that that's enough to uh, assume that this has got to end it sooner or later, and the early season form might suggest that as well, so just again, keep an eye on it. One more before moving to national team stuff. Uh, the Red Bulls can score. They played yeah, man. San Jose, obviously, but then Toronto, there was, there was a lot of gaps in both of these teams. Um, and I'm, I'm curious to see how they'll do against other teams and as the schedule kind of progresses. But just like what the, the narrative around Austin, they couldn't have picked their schedule. They've done everything they possibly could have done through two games. And the, last year, it didn't matter. Really. Even when they were, I think, when they beat, say, teams that were towards the bottom of the conference, like Miami and Cincinnati towards mm-hmm. the end of last year. They was one nil. I think it was, you know, they scored multiple goals like once in the last 20 games. It just mm-hmm. doesn't matter who they're playing. The fact that they put in so many goals has got to be very, uh, you know, very welcomed in Harrison the truth. Yeah, I mean, a- absolutely. And I think in some ways it doesn't really matter in my mind if the team is is strong or not, because if they're getting the goals, the Red Bulls, if they're getting the results, like even if you're playing weaker opposition to start the season, it still is building chemistry and it's way easier to build chemistry and confidence beating teams and everybody's kind of feeling the good vibes. than if you're starting off with nil, nil, one, nil losses, one, one draws. And it's sort of like, we're not quite sure what's working. What isn't working. I think they're already, already often scoring obviously. And I think you can see things that are working the way they're sort of when they're timing their press, their pressing triggers, I think are working really effectively. That seemed to be a big problem for Toronto in this game. And even when they're not, like, connecting really, like, uh, vibrantly when some of the passes are off, Lewis Morgan apparently will still score no matter what. <laughs> so it, it does feel like this is a team that uh, can use that confidence and continue to kind of develop and gel with those wins, even if they're against relatively weaker opposition. Yeah. Maybe, yeah, they fall back to earth a little bit, but it's nice to see Lewis Morgan getting that hat trick. It's nice to see Aaron Long even playing. Caden Clark oh stepping into this game to see him on the pitch. I think there's a lot of reasons for optimism in uh, New York, New Jersey. Yeah, um, and just another thing to add to this, that I really like seeing Frankie Amaya deep in the midfield, and I do hope yeah. that he continues to get this run of games. I was I was surprised that he was playing through an injury, then he then he got injured, yeah. and it was kind of similar to Caden Clark. He came back, and just Gerard Schruber had him either had him in the doghouse or had guys that he developed trust for during their timeout. So Frankie Amaya, it yeah. wasn't it wasn't so great for him in year one, but. Um, I think that this is his best role in the way that he can be like a little bulldog and kind of deeper in the midfield, pressing, uh, annoying people, all of that. And they have a $3 million Brazilian attacking DP that has not debuted yet. So while the attack is looking good and we can say that, you know, regress to the mean because they're uh, of the opponents, uh, we ha- also have to add that, you know, theoretically they're, you know, one of their most important attacking players hasn't debuted yet. Yeah, I think we call that one of them good problems, I would say. It was also <laughs> like... I haven't watched a ton of Toronto of late, uh, which means I haven't watched a ton of Michael Bradley. And yeah. I, I was a I was a Bradley defender for the national team for a very long time, and I I still think he's been sort of unfairly attacked for the Completely way he agree. went down in qualifying. But man, watching Frankie Amaya just like skate past him was just a reminder of why 
Tyler Adams is such a wonderful human being. Uh, and, it's, and it's a reminder of why the Red Bulls are the best team in New York. I see the Cooligans are now listening. So I'm just going to continue to indirectly talk trash to, to people along the way. <laughs> uh, I'm glad. This is fun watching you uh, enjoy and, and, you know, explore around Twitter space for the first time. One more, one more um, Toronto thought. I'm just going to steal what uh, ETR said. Um, I think consensus, all of them were like – uh, you know, Osorio, Bradley, and Pozuelo as a midfield trio. I just don't think that that works. I think that you need to play Pozuelo or Osorio wide and get Ralph Preso or Noble Akello next to Michael Bradley or behind Pozuelo or whatever it is. I don't think that, you know, you don't think that you're doing Bradley or Osorio any favors being a double pivot behind Pozuelo, who's not, you know, again, he's he's a 10. He's an attacking midfielder, and, and that's, you know, there's just not enough legs in that midfield as is, and we'll see if Bob Bradley ad- uh, addresses that. Lastly, five or ten minutes here before we get out of here. Um, U.S. national team roster is on the horizon. Uh, don't look now. Final qualifying window is about to be upon us. Less than two weeks, I think. Didn't write it down. Poor preparation. But at Mexico versus Panama at Costa Rica uh, to hopefully qualify for the World Cup. And there's a little bit of turmoil in that the good problem to have, or one of them good problems, as you put it, for the Red Bulls, was the national team. They had two, I thought, really good level goalies. Matt Turner, Zach Steppen. No matter yes. what camp that you're in, over who you think was is the better, I think that all fans can agree that either one starting is good, and that mm-hmm. that that's again a good problem to have and good alternatives. Both of them are currently injured. Yeah. Uh, so what the hell do you do at goalkeeper if indeed, as expected or, or as feared, I think if both of those players aren't available, what do you do? Yeah. So a uh, quick quick thing there. I do think Stefan is the more worrying in my mind because he missed in the last camp with this same back injury. He comes back yeah. a little bit and is now missing again. Uh, he's been out since late February. It does feel like that's one that doesn't get better quickly. Whereas Turner, no. I think Arena said maybe today or yesterday, there's a chance he's back next week. More likely is two weeks from now, which is cutting it close. But I think there's a chance we'll see Matt Turner. I think there's less of a chance for Zach Stefan. If you don't see either of them, Maybe maybe it's Gabriel Slonina, but that feels very uh, he feels very young. That feels very soon mm-hmm. to make that decision. So my guess would be that it's between Ethan Horvath and Sean Johnson. And I have no issues with Sean Johnson starting. I think that would be a a, a, a very good solution. But I, I wanted to spend a moment on Ethan because I think I just remembered it like maybe because of Goldfish Brain. I don't know, but I remembered it basically <laughs> that he comes in is like really highly touted. Everybody's excited to see him play. And then he has the ridiculously bad howler against Portugal, which if people forgot, it's a very <laughs> tame shot from an angle right at him. He goes to scoop it up, falls over. It goes between his legs and insultingly rolls into the net. And I remember that sort of being the last time we saw Ethan Horvath for the U.S. And so digging in a little bit, realizing he played two friendlies in 2021, but the big one would be, Zach Steffen gets hurt in the Nations League final. And Ethan Horvath subs in, plays the final minutes, saves a penalty in extra time to keep it 3-2. And Horvath has experience playing in high-pressure games. I think that would make him okay when woke up qualifying. Uh, and so I just wanted to like note that because he was one that I thought, like, ah, he's inconsistent, he's unreliable, I don't know. And, and <laughs> remembering those other games had me feeling a little bit better about the possibility of it being Ethan Horvath. So I think this is an unevident unenviable situation i can see the rationale between all of those three that you that you named again if, if stefan and turner are indeed out whether it's sean johnson gaga Sonina, or ethan horvath there are compelling arguments for all three of them horvath like you said do you reward him for that form at the nation's league that, that that really high profile that great moment and that kind of i think a lot of people thought was gonna launch 
okay, he's changing clubs this off season, this summer as well. Like that was kind of his big moment. Like he's back on track. We have a number three for the national team. It hasn't worked out that way in the championship there. You know, Doug McIntyre has already reported that New England are looking at him as their Matt Turner replacement, which I think would be a good move for all involved. So, you know, again, do you reward him for that form or do you rem- remind yourself that that's, you know, eight or nine months ago? Um, and then when it comes to Sean Johnson, he was uh, MLS Cup winner. He's long been one of the most respected goalies in MLS. He's always been kind of in these camps on the roster. I think he's pretty clearly the veteran option on the bench that Berhalter has gone to. So if you're calling him up, if not now, then when would you start him? So I understand all that. Um, and then Gaga Sonina, he's the star boy. I don't think that cap tying should have any effect on this, but a part of it would be you would cap tie him if he plays in, in against Mexico. Um, I believe so, at least I, the rules have changed, but for better, assuming that that'd be cap time again, I don't think that that should be part of any of the conversation. It should be who gives the team the best chance to win on the day. He's been good form in MLS, two shutouts to start the season. He had very good form when he got the job at the end of the season last year, regardless, even though people weren't really watching Chicago at that stage of the season, they were mostly tuning in just to, uh, occasionally to see how he did. Um, again, I don't know what you would do. I understand Johnson or Horvath. That's probably the safer options, um, and I wouldn't have any arguments if if they started. But if if it's me, I I would go with Gaga. I don't doubt this kid's mm. mentality. I think that he is an absolute elite prospect. The way that Bruce Arena, I believe he was on who gave Christian Pulisic his debut in World Cup qualifying. I don't know if it was Klinsman before Arena took over. Whoever it was, he was 17 or whatever at the time, and they put him in World Cup qualifying, and he was the best attacking option essentially for the national team in that failed 2018 World Cup qualifying cycle. I think that Gaga Sonia is of that level of prospect. I don't think that even if he goes to Mexico and they lose three, nothing, I don't think that's going to break him. I don't think that's going to change his trajectory. I think that this is a shooting star and you know why this would be, you know, one hell of a narrative. Tom, the, the idea of the United States losing 3-0 and what the response to that would be, like, it gave me genuine anxiety. Can you not say things <laughs> like that, please? Can we not have that as a realistic possibility? And I don't think it is. I think it's, I do think, I think these games, despite being against very difficult opposition, I think there is a reality in which the U.S. playing against teams that are stronger means that those teams are going to be more attacking, are going to be more open, are going to try to take the game to the U.S. a little bit more. And I think that is what Berhalter's game plan is about, is when teams try to take it to you, you use that against them, and then you find your opportunities there. So I think I think these games are going to be competitive, certainly. But I think I'm, I'm very optimistic slash hopeful for the way things go. Slonino starting would be a big Yeah, answer the question. Come on. Stop dancing around it. You, you were just giving Miguel Ramirez so much credit for answering questions directly. And, and who would you start? Yeah. I think I think Sean Johnson. I do. I think just because he's been there, he's been in every camp. He's been a capable backup, um, and I think he's the one who just he feels the steadiest to me. Slanina certainly has the biggest upside. Horvath, for everything we've talked about, has a lot of upside as well. But I think maybe fairly or unfairly that that like that one howler does still loom in my my mm-hmm. mind, and so I suspect it will be. It really will be a, a training camp decision unless Turner can go. And I think there's still a, right. somewhat of a chance that, that Matt Turner's in there, at least for one of those games or two of those games. But yeah, I think otherwise I'd go Sean Johnson. That's a fair question yeah, to, sure. to press me on. <laughs> um, all right, before we get out of here, a couple of quick ones. Obviously, yep. Wes McKinney's hurt, and that sucks. Um, and number nine has been a revolving door, given you know nobody has taken the job, even when we thought Ricardo Pepe did. He hasn't yet. Um, last window, they started three different options at top, and now one of your guaranteed every game starters, Wes McKinney's out. Um, general thoughts on what you do at central midfield for McKinney and what you do up top. 
Yeah, I, I think there's two likely options. I think it's either it's Adams and Musa, and then who's the third? And yeah. I think of the third, it's either Kevin Acosta, and that lets you be a little bit more defensive and almost more of like a four-two-three-one at times, or it's Luca De La Torre. And I, I did not like Luca De La Torre's recent game against PSV. Uh, we talked about that on yesterday's TSS show. Uh, I thought he was under when he was under pressure when he didn't have time. He started to kind of get dispossessed, started to cough up the ball. Even with that said, I, I still think he showed enough in his last performance with the U.S., and I think he brings an ability to carry the ball forward, to progress the ball, to look for good passes, to find those good passes, and I think he would bring something to that midfield. Kellen Acosta has proven he can do it too, but I think I do lean a little bit towards Luca De La Torre in that uh, combination. Won't be surprised if it's Acosta, though, and a slightly right. more defensively stable foundation. And number nine, I really don't know. I really don't. Uh, I don't think <laughs> it would be anything unexpected i don't think it will be pulisic as a false nine or timothy wea in there i think your most likely candidates are ricardo pepe and there as you said are concerns about that i think he's got 96 total minutes in his last five games zero goals zero assists hasn't scored in like five months so that's not great jesus ferreira has looked really really good for dallas in my opinion and i think he's doing really similar things so i would put him in the starting spot right now the other challenger there would be jordan hefock who uh, mm. i I've been hearing so much about him. And oftentimes when you hear about him, it's people sort of seeing like Brian Sharetta's match reports or quick little like, <laughs> summaries. Watching him, he, he does he does more of what Berhalter wants than I thought. I, I remember him as, as being very tall, obviously, and thus sort of like stretching the back Good line, take. getting on the end of crosses. And he does that. He can. But with the he way is tall. Young He's boys, still tall. Yeah, oh yeah, he hasn't gotten shorter. That that hasn't changed. <laughs> but with the way young boys play, they're usually in a four four two of sorts, but it tends to be Pfock who drops in and is more of the kind of creative, like number ten spot, and then there's somebody ahead of him who he can play the ball in for or he can link up with. Um he tends to drop in and try to link up play, and it works really well when he's got numbers within 10 to 15 yards. It usually is a ball into his feet, it's a quick layoff, it's a quick combination, they're able to attack. I also noticed that when they do, when the ball gets played out wide in that transition into attack, he doesn't go sprinting forward. Even if he's maybe now at 20, 30 yards behind the play, because he's so tall, he has that ability to cover a lot of ground without really fully hitting top speed. And I like that because oftentimes he was just at like the top of the D when his teammate was getting ready to play a ball in. And that allowed him to, sometimes it was a run to the back post. Sometimes it was to the near post. Sometimes he would hold that run, but I thought he did a really good job of arriving late. And that is a thing that Berhalter has talked about time and time again, and then can get on the end of a cross, can score a goal, can uh, link up goals to facilitate or link up play to facilitate goals. So I won't be surprised if Pifok is in that squad as well. And I was kind of confident that Berhalter would just continue to roll with the people who'd, been mm -hmm. there consistently, but I think I wouldn't be surprised if those are your three options at striker. Maybe Jassy Zardes is in there too, but right now I would say start Jesus Ferreira as your nine. I would say put Luca De La Torre in midfield. Center backs is a little bit touchy. I don't know what the situation is with John Brooks. Chris Richards isn't playing, uh, hasn't played since the Canada loss. He picked up an right. injury there. So maybe it's Zimmerman, maybe it's Miles Robinson. Uh, maybe Aaron Long's in the conversation. Maybe it's somebody else entirely. I guess we'll have to wait and see. Maybe it's CCV, who apparently can now pass the ball. That's exciting. <laughs> it's always good. Uh, yeah, I, uh, just a couple quick thoughts there. I think if Yunus Musa was the one who's out, it'd be an easy, no doubt about it, Luca De La Torre, just because of the mold of those players. Agreed. I'd still probably lean with De La Torre for McKinney, but I would certainly be open to 
Kellen Acosta, Gianluca Busio, maybe Christian yeah, Milan, given how good he's been, kind of particularly in CCL. Um, yeah, I think that that's a really difficult decision. Up top, I'm like, I don't know what to make of PFOG. I, I think just looking at it from the decisions that Berhalter and the coaching staff has made, they don't seem to rate him so highly. Yeah. Um, I think the door is open for him to at least be on the roster just because Jossie's artists didn't start the first two games for Columbus and MLS. So, you know, what are you talking about form is somebody who he has been involved with this team in, in camps and stuff. So he's not a completely new player. So I think it's possible, but just get, like, I, that's one of them where I'll need to kind of believe when I see it in terms yeah. of him playing, just because we haven't seen him in so long. And despite regardless of if he's scoring goals in kind of this Swiss league, it, it seemed to not really matter too much, but I think on that note, kept you long enough. Thank you very much to Taylor Rockwell for stopping by. I'm, I'm glad to take this first trip with you on Twitter spaces. Yeah, and let you, you know, interact with just pretty much Doyle and the Cooligans in the crowd there. Um, and that the audio got fixed. That's all good stuff, man. Thank you for coming. Yeah, man. Thank you. And I will extend it a little bit longer just to say you said very nice things about me in the beginning. Uh, I will say when I, when I saw you in the press box, my, re, my reaction, I don't think I said it out loud. Hopefully I didn't. was genuinely like, hell yes, because I love Tom. Tom's great. <laughs> Tom's super fun to hang out with. Always good energy. Always fun. Always good for a laugh. Like, no, I really enjoy whenever I get to hang with Tom, including when it's on Twitter. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.